Hello and welcome to the fourth episode in Turf and Rec's six-part podcast series exploring the topic of regenerative soil science. My name is Mike Jiggins, editor of Turf and Rec. Our guest is Randy Booker, superintendent at Otter Creek Golf Club in Otterville, Ontario, and principal at Turf Evolution. In this episode, Randy will talk about how he has discontinued some traditional cultivation practices in favor of other measures and reflects on how this has resulted in cost savings. Before we hear from Randy, let's listen to this word from our sponsor, Cress. Cress is leading the transition from gas-powered lawn equipment with the introduction of the industry's first truly game-changing innovation in battery-powered OPE. With the Cress 8-Minute Cyber System, professional landscapers can replace their messy gas-powered equipment without sacrificing performance, power, or runtime. Complemented by a full line of equipment benchmarked against gas-powered products, landscapers can finally take charge and make the switch to battery. For more information, visit Cress.com. So what uh, methodologies then would remain common between conventional and regenerative uh, approaches? Well, the, the, the similarity would be that, yes, the plant needs NPK. The plant needs minerals. The plant needs trace minerals. The plant needs, you know, all those uh, micro and macros. And we can throw all of that into the situation that if we don't have those, then the plant's not going to be able to survive. But if we build up the soil, then the soil will provide those to the plant without us really having to input those products. So obviously when we think about, we still have to mow, we still have to do all those, those practices that provide our daily conditions. But uh, when we think about uh, top dressing, you know, I have not, ta- I top dress once a year. Uh, I may top dress a second time a year if I'm doing a little overseeding on greens just as a, uh, a cover. Um, sometimes I don't, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get into the a job saver on the, on, on the air fire and just get all those little holes out there and just drop seed and just let it go. I may decide to do a slight little top dress just to be able to drag around and, and fill those holes to give the seeds some cover. But I do not top dress um, on any kind of a regular basis anymore for the playability of the greens, because number one, I'm not trying to do the main thought of top dressing, which is diluting the thatch. I no longer think about diluting the thatch. I degrade the thatch through biology. So again, if you throw a sand top dress out, it's a very inert soil that is producing your bacterial conditions. And I'm trying to grow a perennial grass that doesn't like bacterial situations. So conventional to, you know, our mowing practices are all the same. We still roll. We still do all of those practices. But most of the cultivation that I used to do, so I no longer pull cores. I haven't pulled cores for years. I no longer top dress. I no longer verticut. Um, because I don't want to rip apart the biology that is in the crown area of the plant as well as up on the leaf tissue. So all those, those, let's say, damaging or disturbing cultivation processes no longer do. I do an awful lot of brushing or dragging a carpet around. That's my way of standing the turf up as opposed to thinking about getting into a vertica. Vertica, you want to stand the turf up and as well, you want to rip out a bunch of the organic material. 
I no longer have the organic material there because I've degraded it all. Mm. So I don't have to do those processes anymore. So for a lack of a better term, uh, what sort of sustainable products are you using with the, with the, your regenerative approach? Well, let's let's look at nature. Um, there is there is no waste in nature. So if you think about how nature works, you know, leaves fall off trees um, or trees fall in the forest. They just lay there. They degrade. They're eaten by fungi. They're broken down. They become organic matter. They become water holding, nutrient holding. They become all of those processes that nature relies on to replenish and keep the world and the growth going. So when I look at products to use in the sustainable sense is anything that's really a natural product. So I think about humic acids. I think about fulvic acid. I look at vermicompost or compost extracts. I look at kelp. Um, I, there are inoculants that you can purchase, but there are also biological inoculants that you can make on your own. There are all sorts of those ingredients that are naturally occurring and are part of what should be happening. And we've replaced all of those with our man-made synthetic products. So it's, again, it's, it's just getting back into the mindset of mimicking what nature does, but we still manipulate that to serve the function that we need it to do. So you think about kelp, amazing product because it's growing in the sea. So you think about sea minerals. Um, and if you've ever read and, and, and taken the dive into um, seawater or sea mineral use, 98 plus minerals are in seawater. And if you do get into a, uh, a sea mineral product, which is the water's gone away and it's just all the minerals that have been left on the surface to be harvested and utilized and used to go back out into turf. Um, you think about ocean minerals, you think about fish in the ocean back in the day, back in the time, and, and I'm, I'm, the gentleman's name just isn't at the tip of my tongue right now, but he did research. Uh, he was uh, a, uh, a biologist. He went out on fishing boats and he never, ever saw a uh, fish or whale or dolphin or anything that had any kind of a disease issue. They were all healthy. They were all living in the sea in and amongst all these sea minerals. Thus, they had the ability to take in whatever mineral was needed. So kelp does a similar sort of situation that it came out of the sea, came out of that, it's been dried, cold pressed, and it has a wide array of all those sea minerals in it, as well as gibberellin, cytokinins, and all of that really good stuff that is feeding the soil biology and, and made available to the plant uh, through a natural way. Is climate a factor with the regenerative soil science? For example, you know, Otter Creek, of course, is in Southern Ontario, but uh, you know, you look at uh, parts of um, British Columbia, Vancouver Island, the lower mainland, they've got more of a, uh, a moderate climate. Uh, they, they can play golf all year round. It's, it's a little wetter there than, than other places. Uh, you've got northern regions that have a, a shorter 
playing season. Um, you know, there's different uh, uh, climates outside of Ontario and, and Eastern Canada, Atlantic Canada, for example. Is this apply to every type of uh, climate or is there certain uh, variations that they need to uh, adopt? Anywhere, anywhere. Um, these processes are, are uh, around the world, not just across Canada. So Australia and New Zealand have the same, you know, gentlemen and guys down there are doing the exact same processes uh, from an agricultural sense. Europe, all through Europe, all through the states, can you know it's it's a world uh, it's a world process. And I guess to say no, climate doesn't affect this at all. Um, the only thing that climate does is limits the amount of time that we have to play with this. Um, so on a yearly basis, being in Ontario where where we are, is yeah we have a golf season that goes from well now early April, mid April, through to you know, mid-November, end of November, or maybe a little shy than that. We These processes can happen through that range. So when temperatures in the soil start to get above a certain, and we, we like to say the five to 10 degrees Celsius point is when the biology starts to wake up, then that system works all the way through until the soil process get cold enough where everything shuts down. And that point, soil biology, and being out on the island or Vancouver on the coast, yeah, these processes work year round. You know, and even in our case, this process still works when there's snow on the ground. And in fact, they have uh, research is being done now and they found fungi that still work under the snow and that, that are active in, in the, the Arctic. I think that the key to this is we know very, very little of what goes on under our feet. And one of the things that we all, it's kind of a joke when we say, uh, you know, we, we know more about what goes on in the universe than we do under the, uh, you know, our footprint. And I think that is something, whether we're looking for someplace else to go live when we've ruined the planet, or, uh, you know, why, why are we doing that? Because soil biology started, uh, Elaine Ingham was really the, the, um, the first soil biologist that really dove into the, the fact that soil is alive. And we have progressed in 40 years, primarily because we've had the microscope equipment to be able to see these microbes. You know, prior to that, we couldn't see them. So we didn't really care about them. We didn't think about them. But soil biologists now, you know, we used to say that we knew 10%. Now we're saying we only know 1%. And tomorrow, we'll say that we don't know 1%. We know less because this world of soil biology and really the deep dive into what organisms are there and what organisms are doing and the names and the species and, and the purpose, that is, we are still in the infant stage of really figuring out what's going on in the soil. So, you know, we, this is just the start, right? This is just the start of a process that, uh, you know, I think the more that we understand, the more that we go down the road of, of these organisms being named and the DNA extracted out of them uh, and the processes they go through, that we'll have an ever-growing understanding of why we can't grow specific things or why why things happen that 
that we don't quite understand. It's, it's an emerging world. And, you know, I think we, we just need to start to open up our mind a little bit more to allow those processes to come in and, and get away from us thinking that we can really control things because we can't. Where does uh, Canada stand among the countries that are leading the way in this, uh, this regard? We're starting to. Uh, we've got a long way to go. Uh, again, I think the turf world in general really doesn't even want to recognize a lot of this because we're still so set in our ways of, you know, this is the way we've always done it. And this is the research that's still happening. Whereas agriculture has taken a flip because the difference between the agricultural context and our turf context is, is as a turf manager, unless you own your own little lawn care business, you know what, I'm spending somebody else's money. And that gives a certain amount of freedom to do what you want to do. But when we go into a, a farming sense, so think about farmers that have had a, a you know, family farm for generations, and you might be the fifth or sixth or seventh generation farmer on that piece of property. But now you are having to take out loans because you can't afford to do the farming anymore because your inputs have risen up because the cost of all the tractors and plowing equipment and all of those inputs get tallied into a farming situation and then they try to maximize a yield. And farming now is saying, the Y word is the bad word because they shouldn't be thinking about yield. What they should be thinking about is where's our profit? Because what sense is it good to have a you know, 260 bushel yield of corn when I'm losing money on every acre? Where I could turn around the process and get into a biological mindset with the regeneration, reduce the cost of my inputs, Maybe my yield will drop just a fraction in the first few years, but then my yield starts to go up again, but my inputs have gone way down. So they start to see the profit. So they can start to see the light at the end of that tunnel to be that I'm in business to keep my family home, to keep the family farm, and to produce food. Well, I'm producing the food, but my inputs are way down. I don't have the same expenses, and I'm making money now. So that's why the farming community has really jumped onto this because in essence, as I said earlier, the drop in the expense that I've had at Otter Creek Golf Club is pretty substantial. When you get into farms thinking that they are spending million, $2 million on fertilizer, that they can basically drop down to either half, 25% of that cost. So if you're spending $2 million, you turn that around, you only have to spend $500,000. That is substantial when it's your own money, mm -hmm. right? I think we have to start to get back to the point of thinking of, you know, we are spending money. We don't have to spend as, what, as much as we do in order to have the same conditions or even better conditions. And that's where ag has taken it. And we are still lagging behind. So from the world vision of this, Western Canada or Midwest, you know, the Manitoba, Albertas, 
Saskatchewan's where the real prairies and the farms and then heading down into the Dakotas uh, and Montana area, they're starting to move pretty heavy with it. But the place that is really going strong is Australia and New Zealand because basically the whole continent of Australia is sand and very degraded soils to begin with. And they have taken a huge jump in a regenerative movement over in... Uh, and this includes golf. And yeah. this is starting to include golf. Um, that's my comment. I, I think we have to maybe get off our high horse a little wee bit and think that, you know, we don't need to be doing all of these practices. We can reduce a lot of the practices we do on a golf course and still have the same conditions. But until maybe academia starts to push some of these principles, uh, I, I really see it a, a little bit of a tough thing until more of us start to speak up as I'm doing today, that it doesn't have to be with the use of all the synthetic products that we use, specifically the pesticides. You know what? You can still continue to use some synthetic fertilizers. You know, you can still continue to use some magnesium sulfate, maybe a little bit of iron. You continue to use some of those. But my, my practice right now from a, uh, say a synthetic point is nothing but the trace minerals. And I'm talking like manganese, molybdenum, cobalt, silica, zinc, all of those. You know, we've all been told that NPK, you know, sulfur, iron, yeah, that's all we need. Wow, the plant barely uses any of those other, you know, micros. Well, again, get your head out of thinking what the plant uses and the plant does. What does the soil do? So the soil will have those, the plant will have access to it. And if you don't have the proper micros hanging around in the zincs, in the molybdenums, in the nickel, in, in the cobalt, you know what? The turf plant, regardless of how much NPK you give it, the enzymatic processes are not going to be able to happen because those trace minerals aren't there. Those trace minerals are the things that make the enzymes and make all those processes within the plant work. Similar to your human body. You know what? If all we did was was eight uh, uh, green nitrogen, uh, phosphorus, and potassium, you know what? We would be sick. We would not be very healthy. We need zinc. We need um, all those. We need magnesium, you know, magnesium for the muscles. The major muscle in your body is your heart. You need magnesium for your heart, right? We have to start to think about what we do in our body is exactly the same as what's going on with a plant. Right. After all, we basically came from the plants. Right. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you really go back into it, that's, that's how that's how the world evolved was by plants coming out, uh, you know, organisms coming out from the ocean, getting onto land and producing and starting to, you know, provide the conditions for life to begin on the on the uh, on the planet. So, you know, when we start killing our soils and we continue to do that, you know what, we're really killing ourselves. Thanks, Randy. Be sure to visit our website at www.turfandrec.com on July 5th to listen to the fifth episode in this series. 